This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to this week's edition of Yarrabosca Users Group Radio here on 3CR 855 AM and digital. On today's show, I have a couple of interviews coming up. First, I have to mention there was some very sad news over the weekend with the news of the passing of a giant in Melbourne cycling's uh, history with Paul Farron passing away. We got some messages over the weekend that Paul had indeed passed on Thursday afternoon. So you might remember going back about four years ago, we had an interview with Paul that Faith and Val did, and we've put that up for the 23rd of September 2013. So if you want to search our website, yarrabug.org forward slash radio, and we've put that back up. And also this weekend, the Vinci Cycling Club, which Charlie and Paul were deeply involved with, are having a swap meet at Abbotsford Cycles. If you wish to uh, get, get along to that, I'll just, I'm pulling up the details here. That's going to be at Abbotsford Cycles. And that's going to be from about 9am to 12am if you want to get down there this Saturday. Anyway, I'm going to have to take a bit of a break and I'll be back in a moment with more interviews. I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. This morning on Yarra Bosco Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR, I'm speaking to Janinka Brook. Hi. And uh, this is a catch-up. We uh, spoke, oh, not that long ago, but we're just going to talk about uh, some uh, relevant cycling issues in Melbourne. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show again, Chris. It's um, great to catch up again. I guess since we last spoke, which was not long after the Safe Passing Distance Legislation report had come out from the committee, since then I've been chipping away at trying to get the, the messaging about that uh, education campaign um, with the TAC guys, trying to talk to them about how they're going to frame the education campaign, but also at the same time trying to keep the pressure on the government and um, the police and Daniel Andrews and Luke Dinellon about actually changing the law as well because I guess I'm a little worried that we might have an education campaign and then maybe we won't see the law in, in the end. So trying to keep the pressure on a little bit just by uh, meeting with these people and trying to talk to them about it, but it's a pretty steep uphill battle. Melbourne this week, or I should say late last week in the context of this interview, recently we've seen um, reports in the media, one of a, a young woman who was driven at 
while riding along Mary Parade in Northcote. That was in late August. And recently, horrifying footage of a man who was hit from behind in Airport West and police have said that, that there's no charges to or things to be heard there. This is not normal. This is not what we should be con- even considering as normal behaviour in Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I guess we can be thankful that these sorts of things seem to be relatively rare. However, when they do happen, they're obviously pretty terrifying. And um, I think the second incident that you refer to, the man who was hit by a car in Airport West, that one is particularly horrifying to see the footage. And beyond my comprehension, how the police have determined that there is no offence to answer for for that driver. I mean, it's just astonishing to me that you can have crystal clear CCTV evidence from the shops or the, the business that it happened in front of that, that quite clearly shows what happened and that the driver hit the cyclist from behind, that he made no obvious attempt to avoid the cyclist. I mean, it's great that the driver stopped and offered assistance. That's wonderful. To my mind, it looks like the most clear-cut case of a breach of Rule 144 if not other, you know, dangerous driving type offences as well. But Rule 144 says that you need to overtake or or pass another vehicle with a sufficient distance to avoid a collision. So if a collision has occurred, clearly, surely that rule has been broken. So to me, it just beggars belief that there's no action against that driver, um, even if it's just a fine. Like, how can that be no offence? I just I just don't understand how the police can um, put that sort of message out there. It comes down to, I believe, a, like a, a very dry interpretation of, of the law and it seems that the law has failed bicycle riders in this instance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if the existing law is not adequate to get any kind of action in such a you know clear case of an incident against a cyclist where you've got the video evidence, you've got the witnesses, you've got the driver, you've got every piece of evidence you could possibly need. So clearly there is something wrong here, either in the law itself or in the interpretation of it, or perhaps in the police willingness to pursue it. And, you know, without having spoken to the police officers involved, it's hard to comment exactly on what their reasons were for not pursuing any any kind of um, charges or infringements against the driver. But it's pretty obvious that something's broken in this whole system, that's for sure. Yeah, well, there's a few things broken in the system. If you want to take some critical thinking or apply critical thinking to it, is that we have faulty road design, we have incorrect application or interpretation of the law, and when these things occur, like an incident where a cyclist is injured, worse, whatever, that there's no repercussions of that, and that in turn creates dangerous uh, riding conditions for people because... There's a lot of vehicles out there with drivers who don't behave or don't share the road or whatever term you want to put on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that really concerns me about this incident is that the lack of any kind of repercussions for the driver, I mean, that just sends such a clear message to all the other drivers out there, especially the ones that perhaps don't like cyclists being on the road, that sends them a message that it's the cyclist's fault that the car driver didn't do anything wrong and you get this ongoing perpetuation of an attitude that it's just an accident, it's not my fault, I'm not going to take any personal responsibility for my behaviour and for the way that I drive and I think that that's a kind of attitude that we see, certainly if you if you uh, dare to read the comments online on these sorts of news reports that 
there's so many comments where people excuse such an incident as just an accident and there was nothing the driver could do, which is absolutely incorrect. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. What can someone do if you're in an incident? Okay, so I guess this is a really tricky one because, you know, there are things that you can do in terms of the way that you ride to make yourself visible and those sorts of things yeah. and communicating with drivers and that sort of stuff. But in the end, if if something's going to happen, then, um, you know, it's great if you can have video cameras on your bike. But obviously we can't... We don't want to be going down a, a track where everyone needs to have front and, front and rear video cameras on their bikes. I mean, that's not realistic to expect of everybody to be spending a lot of money on fancy technology and all that sort of thing. But, you know, if that's something that you're interested in and you want to do, then that's great. And I, I personally do commute on my bike with front and rear cameras. So what I do when I've had an incident of some sort, um, unfortunately I haven't actually been hit by a car touch wood, but um, I have had a couple of um, incidents that I've reported to the police. And I think the best thing that you can do is, first of all, if it's serious enough, I would call triple zero at the time because if a driver has perhaps targeted you or like what happened in the um, the case with the lady in Northcote that was quite clearly intentionally targeted by a car driver, I think if you call triple zero at that time, in my personal experience, that has resulted in more attention, I suppose, rather than going to the police station after the fact. Obviously, you know, you've got to be careful when you use triple zero and you don't ever want to misuse it. But if it is something that that driver is, you know, perhaps going to circle around the block and come back and have another go or something, I think you're quite within your rights to ask for help then and there. As to reporting things after the fact, I've had really mixed results, to be honest, with, with making reports to the police. I've had responses from certain police officers where they just didn't want to talk to me or, you know, they, they were very resistant to even listening to what I had to say. But I have had a couple of positive experiences as well. And I think what's made the difference in those cases is being pretty clear up front about what you think has been done wrong. So, you know, knowing a little bit about the laws, knowing what kind of offences that you think the driver might have might have committed against you, if you can go armed with a little bit of information and make a rational argument to the police officers, it puts you in a, a better position um, because you can have a, a logical and rational conversation with the police officer and explain your reasoning as to why you think this is a, a, an offence. And in the end, if you're kind of doing some of the thinking for them, you're making their lives and their jobs a bit easier as well. So come down to a point of law, you quoted road law earlier. When I had a, a successful um, reporting to the police and a, an infringement notice actually issued against the driver, what I'd done was I, I went to the police station after the fact and I had clear video evidence of a driver honking and tailgating and that sort of carry on and, and then cutting across me in front of me across the bike lane. Technically speaking, there were a number of uh, laws that that particular driver could have been charged with. There was 
um, failing to completely stop at a stop sign. There was failing to indicate as you turned left and improper use of the horn. There's a few different ones that you could make an argument for, but in the end, the police officer decided to pursue him for, I think it was Road Rule 132, if I remember correctly, about improper use of the bike lane. And I think for me, going to that police officer and, and being able to say, look, I think there's there's four potential offences here or infringement notices that you could pursue with that driver. And then it was up to the police officer to choose the one that he felt was most appropriate or most likely to stick, I guess, if it went to a court of law or if it was challenged. But I think being able to have that conversation with the police officer just helped to bring him around to to see my side of it. And fortunately, it was pretty clear from the video, but, um, you know, just to be able to articulate what I wanted to happen. And, you know, when he then asked me, well, what about if we gave the driver uh, just a warning and, and not an infringement notice. It, it gave me a bit more rationale for saying that, you know, I don't feel an in, a, a warning was sufficient in this case because, you know, if you've got four potential infringements and you're only going to give him one, well, that's already pretty light in my view. So, you know, it just enables you to have a bit of a, a logical, calm conversation about it. You're listening to 3CR Radio. These incidents are are horribly unpleasant when they occur because someone has intimidated you with a large dangerous object and it's really sad that we have to break these things apart in terms of breaking it down or unpacking it to its point of law when, you know, again, applying a bit of critical thinking, someone has attempted to assault another human being. Yeah. And this is coming back to the earlier part of our conversation, something is very wrong with the law. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think what sometimes I feel people may not understand is that there's actually a pretty high bar before anyone actually bothers to take these things to the police because it's not a pleasant experience walking into a police station and um, it can be pretty stressful and you don't know if you're going to be listened to, you don't know if they're going to take you seriously or not. So all the kind of little things you don't bother going to the police for. There's some things that maybe we should be going to the police for, but speaking on my, well, from my own experience, but also from other people I know and have spoken to, that if you have any doubt about how seriously an incident will be taken by the police, then you probably, you know, you don't bother or you're a bit shy about it or it's an intimidating experience to go through. So for somebody to actually take the time to go to a police station and make a report, that means that it's probably pretty seriously affected them, um, if not physically, then certainly emotionally, and, and that person's probably quite shaken up. So for me, what I, what I find really troubling about the incident in Airport West as well is that with such obvious evidence that to the, the layperson, I suppose, it looks so clear-cut that if something like that is not going to be pursued then what hope have I got when um, when I take my video and I wasn't actually, you know, hospitalised but there was still an offence committed, then it's, it's pretty discouraging because how can you feel like you're, um, you're going to be taken seriously or that any action will come of it? So it's pretty, um, yeah, it's disheartening really, I think, to see these sorts of things not being taken seriously. Getting back to whoever or mate was involved with an incident... 
it's the individual's choice whether they want to push forward with reporting, either laying charges, an infringement, the level of things you can do, like calling triple zero if you feel physically threatened. If the person um, leaves this, the scene of the incident, write down or even with um, you know, the stuff you've got on your phone, put you know, make an audio recording of where you were, number plate, incident, these things, and get it down, get the points down. And, look, I think there's a lot to be said for not escalating a situation if you can avoid it. So, you know, you, you see some cases of people getting a bit riled up, which is totally fair enough when someone's threatened your life, but, um, you know, make a decision as to whether you think it's worth yelling and waving your arms around or is that just going to escalate things and, you know, try and be a little bit rational about it in the moment if you possibly can, though that's obviously easier said than done. I definitely recommend is if you're feeling that kind of adrenaline rush and you're scared or you've been threatened and you've had that kind of near-miss experience, it's often not a good idea to keep writing immediately either if you're feeling that way and you're shaken up and you're probably not going to be concentrating well on the remainder of your journey. So sit on on the grass for a little while on the side of the road and collect your thoughts and calm yourself down before you go on as well because it can be really dangerous riding when you're not focused on what's in front of you. So I think the last time I had a really, really scary incident, I took probably three or four days off from riding because I just couldn't face it. But then I think it is really important to get back on the bike and, you know, get your confidence back. Take notice of the good experiences that you do have But I I think the other thing that really helps me is when possible I try and ride with a friend. There's a lot to be said for strength in numbers. For me, I've got a couple of friends who um, we ride into work together, not every day, but a lot of the time there'll be two, three or four of us taking pretty much the same way into town together. But uh, stay positive, though. That's the thing. Get back on the bike uh, and self-care. So great talking to you today, Junanka. Thanks very much, Chris. It's been really nice to have a chat. Now, if you're sick and tired of the news reports, and your modern day life is a blues resort, put your head in the sand. Hey, this is Jane from The Herb. Please support community radio and your local music scene. We can't hear you. Hi there, my name's Brett Cotter. I'm the uh, curator, the film peddler, the spokesperson for two film festivals celebrating cycling. One is called the Big Bike Film Night and the other is called the Cycle Chic Film Tour. And we're peddling over to Australia. Yeah, this is the Big Bike Film Night. And uh, yeah, you've got several dates across Australia. Um, including Canberra, Hobart, and Melbourne. But um, can you can you give us a little bit about um, the origins of um, best cycling short films? And yeah, by all means. So it, it actually started uh, four years ago, um, and I had my first film collection three years ago. But its origins uh, here in Heartland, uh, North Island, New Zealand, uh, a little town called uh, Taupo. And um, we've actually got a pretty similar thing with uh, Australians. There's an infatuation with uh, big things. So like you guys, we've got the well, – you guys have got the big pineapple and the big banana. And here in our town, we've got the big 
giant bike. And it was a three-meter uh, erected uh, cycle. <sighs> Sadly, after it was uh, shortly erected, um, we had some guys that decided that they didn't like it very much and uh, vandalized it. And uh, the bike community in Taupo was, as you'd appreciate, pretty pretty gutted. So there was a, a, a call to arms and sort of a lot of people did uh, different events. And I thought, well, let's do a big bike film night. And we, we had a sold-out screening. I had to sit in the seats and uh, sorry, sit in the aisles. And there was just so many people and people going, that was awesome. That was fantastic. When are you going to do the next one? Just keep the ball going. Excellent. So you're picking up the whole thing and coming over to Australia with it. Yeah. And you're going to, oh, I'm just looking at the dates here. You're in Canberra, Hobart, uh, Carlton and Cinema Nova, Acme here in Melbourne. And then you're heading back to Auckland and Wellington. This looks amazing. Uh, can you give us a bit of a rundown of what the content is like? The, the, every year we uh, sit down uh, with a panel of judges and sort of look at all the films that have been submitted. And uh, the basis, it's the, I, I call it the four pillars, is that the films have to be uh, educational, entertaining, original, but above all, inspiring. And so they cover all the different types of uh, bike genres, really. Sort of, it's, it's really a celebration of cycling and all its shapes and forms. So we've got stories on BMX. There's bike subculture in London. There's uh, mountain bike trails building in uh, New Zealand. Fat bikes, uh, bike touring, single speed. So it's just really sort of embraces all the different cycling communities. And, and that's what's so appealing about it is that it's, it's the diversity that's on offer. Great thing is it's it's kicking off here in what euphemistically in Melbourne is, you know, people getting back on their bike season. So you've you really timed this beautifully coming over here. Thank you. I know it was, <laughs> it was pure pure accident. And and I, I had no idea that it was the National Bike Day on uh, Wednesday at, when I did the Cinema Nova. I was just like, oh, my goodness. And you've got the um, Around the Bays the weekend before. So I'm just yep. like... This is very serendipitous. Very much so. So what's the first night here in Melbourne? That's uh, our Tuesday the uh, 17th, and we're actually uh, kicking off with the Cycle Chic uh, film tour. Uh, and, what I'd, and, and that's a new project for me, And but it goes back to three years ago, sort of like when I introduced the Big Bite Film Night, and I always wanted to have a partner to ride alongside it, but one that was celebrating and inspiring and encouraging women to ride and uh, to bike. And it's literally taken three years to find the right films to, to go into that uh, collection. And and I'm stoked to say there's actually one uh, film is actually uh, based in Melbourne on some young ladies. Yeah, so it's, it's great to bring it back there. And one of the other films was actually uh, the film uh, director. She's from Sweden. But uh, she studied in Melbourne, so she was really excited to see that there was going to be a screening in Melbourne. So on Tuesday, the Cycle Chic Film Tour, we're actually at the uh, State Library, uh, the, the Village Theatrette, starting at 6.30, with the doors open, and uh, a bit earlier. Wednesday, we're at, with the Big Bike Film Night, we're doing uh, our screening at the Cinema Nova, and I, I came for a bit of a recce uh, around Melbourne a couple of months ago, and... I was uh, staying just down in Carlton and I went for a walk down uh, Ligon Street, blown away by the amounts of uh, bikes outside the cinema. And I was like, oh, let's go. 
Yeah, that's, that's got a bit of a history there in terms of outside um, Cinema Nova to actually get uh, some proper bike parking down there. And it's just full of bikes now. Thursday and Saturday, we're at Acme uh, in uh, Fed Square. And, and what's really cool is um, I'd heard a lot about uh, Lee Hollywood um, Turner. Uh, oh, and yes. he got in t- touch with me and said, hey, how would you like to do a and a session after the uh, the film collection finishes? And I'm just like, mate. That would just be brilliant. So yeah, sort of. Uh, he's giving, giving the do- giving me a bit of a, an interview in front of uh, all the, the live audience, and I think it just takes it to another level. And from from all accounts, I've heard of Lee's quite the character. He is, and make make sure you have a word with him beforehand. Make sure that he colour coordinates. His kits are quite <laughs> something. Lee for people in Melbourne is. Um, I think he just stepped down as uh, St Kilda Cycling Club uh, president, but he's president. Present, but he's very well known for his cycling kits, which are something else. And he's a great guy; he really is. So that that sounds great. But are you got to tie in with anything else here in Melbourne? Get out and see the sights, that sort of thing. I'd like to do as much as I can. Sort of, uh, I've got some good friends who live up in uh, Castlemaine, and uh, so I'd love to catch up with them. I I lived over in Adelaide for uh, three years, but yeah, sadly won't get over there. But there's some. Uh, I think sort of uh, some great opportunities like I, I love Melbourne nightlife and I just want to see sort of as much as I can while I'm over there because it's just just a magic place. Yeah. So how can people find out more about the big bike film night here in Melbourne and across Australia if people are uh, interested in coming along and getting tickets? So we've got a website uh, and it's the big bike, oh, bigbikefilmnight.nz and uh, if you tune into that page there's one called uh, screenings and it actually shows uh, people where we're touring uh, across uh, Australia and it clicks through to uh, the ticketing portals which uh, we're using a try booking for a number of them uh, but also for the Acme ones we're using their direct portal as well but just go to the website and uh, click you through quite easily. Great, because this, this is kicking off October the 10th, so you're coming over here real soon. I've noticed you've got a very nice picture of – you've got your own plane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very well done. I like that. Uh, so that's kicking off October the 10th in uh, Canberra. Dates go through to the 21st um, here at Acme. And I think sort of to me – at the heart of both the collections is it's real people and uh, cycling's the the medium of what the the message is and and that's get out there and have fun so yeah there's and it's just really inspiring i've been showing it around new zealand for the last uh, six months and I, i just get a real kick out of seeing people walking out just smiling and just going oh my god oh my god so yeah it's just such a buzz being sort of the curator for this role I guess the basis of any film you want to see is that it's got to have a great story. We don't have one story. We have 12 mesmerizing stories that are going to entice you, enthrall you, uh, excite you, and inspire you. And that's what the Big Bike Film Night's all about. It's at the heart is just getting in there and just having a good time watching some films and inspiring people to get out there and see do something which is possibly uh, they've never thought of and uh, enjoy themselves.
Thank you to Brett and Janenka today for the interviews on Yarrabug Radio. Our podcast should be up later today or by uh, Tuesday this week. Go to 3cr.org.au and look for podcasts or go to our website, yarrabug.org forward slash radio. And also, as I said uh, earlier in the show with um, the sad passing of Paul Farron, we have a post up on yarrabug.org which will be um, updated soon with some additional details about Paul. So that's all I've got time for today. Next week should be Faith and Val. Up next is Jailbreak. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.